The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. About the time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church, he killed James the brother of John with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he, did, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in pre- prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the per- Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in pri- prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left them. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now... I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and all, and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered and were praying. And when he knocked, and when, and when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. That is the word of God. So let's pray. Father, we, Lord, we want to come before you, and we were just reminded of how important community is. And again, I, I bring up the men to you for this church, this local church, that we come alongside people, that we come alongside men, um, and that we look to you, Lord, and that the gospel is real. Lord, I pray that there's humility among men, and that we are pastoring our, our families well that we are pastoring them to you, that this church is all about Jesus and all its glory is given to you. So, Lord, I pray for uh, the words that are being spoken today. I pray for hearts to be open and minds to be open. 
Lord, I pray for patience and kindness for everyone here. I pray for love and mercy. And finally, Lord, most completely, Lord, I pray for shalom, for peace. Lord, we need that in this time of brokenness. So, Lord, thank you. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall, lead pastor of Grace City. And uh, yeah, I, I want to just say that I thought the men's retreat was pretty luxurious, uh, Brooke. So I don't know. I'm just, I was used to far uh, more, uh, less luxurious camping experiences. So I thought it was a pretty, pretty great time. And I just thank you for, for those who were able to be a part of it. And I just want to say, guys, that weren't there. Um, we are here in this together, okay? And so that's one weekend, but, but this is a lot longer journey than just one weekend. And so I want you to know that we're here to journey with you in your walk with Jesus. Um, so today, um, before I jump in, you know, uh, restrictions are, are going to be coming up very soon as far as like being lifted. And uh, so next week we'll have one more week. We'll, we'll have a lot of these restrictions, but we're just going to follow the, the CDC guidelines. And then uh, there'll just be one more week and then we're going to be online and then boom, it's going to be like, yay, no restrictions. Great. So um, that's the plan. And then also um, some of us are wondering like, what, what's, what's, um, What's the plan as far as like long term? Um, are we going to be in the park forever? Um, well, I just want you to know, like right now, I'm working on some things. Our team's working on some things to be able to get back into the high school. And so if you could be praying about that, um, just wanted to let you know that that's something that is uh, coming up. And uh, we're on the, the school's timeline. Okay, so that's, that's where we're at. We're on the school's timeline. I'll keep you updated. Uh, but just be in prayer about that. Uh, so today we are going to continue our series in the book of Acts, and our text is from Acts 12, 1 through 19. Thank you, Ryan, for reading. Um, and the message is this, a praying church, a praying church. Now, in hearing today's reading, um, it's easy for us to focus on this miraculous escape of Peter from prison, the angel that released him, uh, but we have to ask, well, what's the emphasis of this text? Well, I believe in subtle ways, Luke, the author, is, is pointing us to and highlighting prayer. We've seen it all through the book of Acts, how this was a church that prayed. And there's a deep dependence on God. We see it back in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Leonard Ravenhill said this. He says, the true church lives and moves and has its being in prayer. Why don't we pray? I heard one time a pastor say, the reason that we don't pray is not because we're too busy. It's because we're too self-reliant. See, what is prayer? It's, it's a reliance on God, not on ourselves. It's calling out to God, saying, I need you. I need your strength. I need you to guide me through. But in many ways, we are naturally more self-reliant. 
And so what does a praying church look like? You know, there's individual prayer. There's uh, friends that can come alongside you and pray. And there's also corporate prayer. And what we see today is that this is more of a corporate prayer that's happening here in the early church. So again, our text is from Acts 12, 1 through 19. And, and just to give some background here, uh, John Polhill, who's a, a commentator on this text, says that this is one of the most delightful and engaging narratives in all of Acts. One of the most engaging, delightful narratives in all of Acts. And so we can't skip over this text today. But we've really got to see that just the, the, the beauty that, that it brings to us. Um, Another commentator, Tony Morita, says this. He says, because this is pivotal. He says, here we see the church's mission taking significant steps forward. Before Luke tells about the major advancement of the gospel with the first missionary journey in, in chapter 13, he provides us with a story of opposition in the Jerusalem church. It reminds us that kingdom advancement doesn't come without a significant cost. Let me say that again. Kingdom advancement doesn't come without a significant cost. See, I believe that's true. I was told once that across every denomination that plants churches, every one of those church plants and those church planter families experienced real spiritual opposition as they planted that church. I remember at the start of Grace City, a friend sent me a text that, that reminded me that very early on in the works of God, the enemy wants to squash whatever God is doing. See, this is another attempt to squash the church. And you have to know that that's going to happen. You shouldn't be surprised when you face opposition, any advancement of the kingdom of God will come with a cost. And so how do we make it through? Prayer. Prayer. I remember as in different parts of my life, and especially as we were planting Grace City, where I felt more weak than I'd ever felt in my life. Literally curled up in a ball in fear. And my only response that I could have was prayer and asking for prayer. My wife praying over me, others praying over, praying, praying, praying. That was it. That's all I had. See, for us, we need to see that, that visual of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight, where he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Yeah, there's a lot of big tasks that God calls us to do. Sometimes it's hard to function in a normal day. But we have a Savior who says, Come to me, I'll give you rest. And so when you think of prayer... My hope is, is that that's the visual that comes to your mind. Is it Jesus that invites you and says, come to me? It's that simple. And so today we'll, we'll look at three marks of a praying church from Acts 12. 
And there are three marks that we see here in today's text. The first one is this, a desperation. Second, there's a discovery. And third, there's a decentering. A desperation, a discovery, a decentering. Let's break this down from today's text. And so the first one is a desperation. Look at verses one through five. In that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, what was the church's desperation built upon? Well, there are two parts here. We see the first part is this, that there was a seeming hopeless, hopelessness in a seemingly hopeless situation that they were placed into. Um, in, in verses 1 through 3, it says that Herod laid violent hands on some. And so there were, there were family members, church members that were friends that, that, that were experiencing violence brought upon them because they were Christians. But then we see next that, that uh, Herod killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And then he proceeds to arrest Peter. We see that there are four squads of soldiers to guard him, so about 16 in total soldiers for one person. Now I want you to think for a minute. Imagine the pain and trauma that the church experienced as they saw the first murdered apostle. James. Right, remember we, we, we saw Stephen earlier, who was the first martyr, first killed uh, for proclaiming the gospel. He was a deacon in the church. But now we're seeing an apostle killed. Right, if you were to think anybody would be killed at this point, you would say, well, it would probably be some nameless person. But God allowed for James. You know, the son of thunder, James and John. The one that was a part of the inner circle with Jesus. Then are three. James, John, Peter. Most likely he was beheaded by Herod. And what we find is that as he saw this happen and it brought pleasure to the Jews, it made him happy too. And so now Herod is playing religious games, waiting till after the Passover, uh, until after the, this religious uh, Passover, remembering the, the exodus that God saved the Jewish people from. We're, gonna, we're not going to do it then, but we're going to wait till after, and we're going to torture and most likely kill Peter after the religious festivals are done. Imagine how sick that is. You see, this has to be a terrifying experience for the church and, and seemingly hopeless. Okay, you've killed James, one of our leaders. Now you've got Peter, who's another one of our leaders. He's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. What's going to happen? 
What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Well, we find in verse 5 where they went in earnest appeal to God. They corporately come together. It says that there was earnest prayer for him, for Peter, that was made to God by the church. Now, this word for earnest is the word ektenos, and it can also be translated intently or fervently. They were in fervent prayer and appeal to God for Peter. There's a, there's a consistency in their coming to God. What were they praying for? For Peter. Well, we don't have it recorded here. But what we see many times when there's prayers in the book of Acts and there's prayers throughout the New Testament, it's this. It's not necessarily prayers that God would take them out of the circumstance, but what it most mostly is is that there would be endurance or strength or boldness to endure whatever circumstances that are placed before them. It's not prayers for an easy life. It's prayers for a God-glorifying life. God, help me to glorify you in whatever I face. See, these are what are called frontline prayers. A pastor, Jack Miller, once explained the difference between maintenance prayers and frontline prayers. And he said, maintenance prayer uh, gatherings uh, most likely are, are, are very short, mechanical totally focused on physical and personal needs. But frontline prayers have these traits. It's a request for God's grace to meet them in the circumstances that they're in. It's, it's a confession of sins and a humbling. There's a compassion and zeal for the flourishing of God's church. Lord, whatever your will is, we want that to happen. There's a yearning to know God deeper, to see his face, to see his glory. Do you remember what Paul prays for as, as, he, as he thinks about all the sufferings that he's been through? He prays that he would know Christ and his sufferings even more. See, there's a depth to these prayers. And God wants this depth not just for the people that wrote scripture, but for you and me. He wants to take us deeper with him. And the only way that happens is when we endure, even when we don't know what to do. The only place we have to go is God. And so what happens as they pray, as they're coming together, as they're pressed in a way that they would have never chosen. Right? You ever been pressed so, so much that you're, you're like, I didn't choose this situation, God. I would have never chosen this for myself. You been there? That's what we're seeing here. The church is being pressed into the situation. What happens? Well, as they pray, an angel releases Peter from prison. He's asleep between two soldiers. The angel wakes Peter up, guides him out of the prison, to him, it seemed like a dream. In reality, it was actually happening. And the rescue, as the chains were broken, were purely a work of God. Were purely a work of God. Here's what we need to understand. When God works in this way, 
there's only one that you can lift up and say it was him. He did it. It's God. And so we're going to find next what happens, okay? So the second point is this, a discovery. Verse 11 through 16. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Again, we're praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice and her joy. She did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But, but Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. Um, this is one of those stories that we put, should put a smile on our face. Right, the way that that even Luke is 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 describing, he's giving us all of these details to understand just how unexpected this was. See what's happening here. Well, Peter first makes a discovery about what God has done. It, it like brought him to this place where he understood, in his heart, God has done something. But the church also makes a discovery about what God can do. Okay, so there's two parts here. So the first is about Peter's discovery. So when when Peter came to himself, okay, so this is the aha moment for Peter that he was free. That he was free. See, last weekend we talked about how the men, at the men's retreat, we talked about these these strongholds. And so we talked about this this exercise. And, And the thing is this. For many men, including myself, it was an aha moment. I remember Andrew, it's like we were talking about how many times you can feel imprisoned and you didn't even realize it by all of these things that are going on in your life. Do you, some, do you know some of the most surprising things that I found out about myself? It's the sins that I struggle with, and I didn't even realize it. You know an aha moment I had? Was that I struggled with bitterness. I struggled with bitterness. It was this thing that that I didn't really think about because I just suppressed it so much, but I didn't realize that there was a prison that I was living in of bitterness and that I needed healing from. And you know the only one who can break me from those chains? It's Jesus. See, there are things that you've been through that maybe you've never told anyone before. And you're sitting there like Peter and you're like, you're, you're in prison, but, but you don't even realize it, that you're in chains. And the only one that can break you free with the power of the gospel is Jesus himself. See, and so as, as Peter is being broken free from this, We have to realize that Peter couldn't do it. And I just want you to know that you and I can't do it either. It's God. Who's the only one who can break me free from my bitterness? As I prayed, 
I realized it was only Jesus that can heal me from the inside out and help me and, and teach me how to forgive. Forgiveness. Right? And so there's a discovery moment for, for Peter. Wow, look at what God's done. Because here's what he says, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel. Now you might not have this type of miraculous angel breaking you out of prison type of moment. But I want you to know that the same God wants to free you from some of the sins of your past. His gospel is powerful enough to do this. This word for sure is this. It means most certainly. You ever had those moments where you're just like, most certainly I know that this is true. I remember my wife, we were talking one time and she was telling me, she's like, um, you ever been to that pizza place, Sharo? I was like, you mean Sabaro? She's like, no, Sharo. I said, no, it's Sabaro. I promise you it is Sabaro. You know how I knew that the name of this pizza place was Sabaro? It's because I've been there so many times. Over and over and over again, I had so many slices of pizza there. There was a whole summer where I ate there. All summer, my grandparents in Hawaii, they lived across the street from the mall. There was a Sabaro there, and I knew it, most certainly. I knew that that was the truth. And so for you to know and to have an assurance, now I've experienced this. I know this is true. The Lord, I am sure of this, he did this, right? There is an assurance in you. And Peter's discovering that his assurance was in God and what God has done. But second, it's this, the church's discovery. They said to her, you are out of your mind. You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, that Peter was there. And they kept saying, it is his angel. So they start having these theological conversations, I think it's an angel. I think it's Peter's angel that's there. And so like, they're like, they're not answering the door. They're having a theology discussion, right? Don't we do that sometimes? We don't even realize. Like we just want to have discussions about it and actually experiencing it. Uh, but Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. They were amazed. Again, this should point us to that they were probably not expecting that Peter was going to survive. Their prayers most likely probably weren't like, God, you're going to miraculously send an angel to save him, to break him out of prison, and then he's going to show up at our front door. Like that wasn't their, most likely that wasn't their prayer. They were just seeking God, praying, God, your will be done. Help us, Lord. And look at what God does. He does the unexpected. So what the Jews at the time were expecting was that they were going to get Peter and his head on a platter. What God was going to do was something much better. Unexpected. Tony Marita says, The Lord delivered Peter by sheer grace. He's the great rescuer. God's grace was so astonishing that even a praying church had a hard time believing it. A praying church even had a hard time believing what God could do. See, it's discovering new aspects of only what God can do. And it's only going to be when you get into desperate situations like this where you say, wow, look at what the Lord has done. Look at what the Lord has done. And so what happens next in the third part is this, a decentering. Look at verse 17. 
But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, what is Peter doing here? Now, this is an intentional decentering of Peter because you see what's happening here? He has to shush the crowd. People are going nuts. People are going crazy. There's a lot of cheering, I'm sure, a lot of joy, like, wow, look at what God's done. This is great. But Peter has to quiet, quiet them down. And what he does is he starts to focus back on who did it. You know, one of the things that we go through when we, we have these miraculous things that, that, that happen in our lives or, or maybe we just kind of break free of this sin pattern or whatever it might be, right, is this, that we say, well, you know, yeah, I'm free and, and here's all the things that I did to get there. Yeah, that's a natural man-centered way of doing things. Or look at all that we've accomplished. Look, look at all the things that have happened in my life. Here's all the ways that I, you need to follow what I did. Here's the thing that Peter knew. It wasn't about Peter. And that's really important because you know what? Peter was one of those guys where he was a lot about Peter. (laughs) He was a very Peter-centered guy. (laughs) But God had to break him of that. And he had to re... So Peter is like re-centering on the Lord because he's saying this. God did it. God did it. You see it? Peter motioning. Silent, you know, silent. You described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. How does he tell the story? It's a story and a narrative that's filled with God. Let me ask you about how you tell your stories. Are they filled with God? Are they filled with what God's done or is it filled with a lot of great things that people are like, wow, look at how great you are. See, there was a, a decentering that's happening and a recentering on what God has done. God brought him out of the prison. God brought him where do we, where, to where he's at. But second, uh, he spread God's story. Look at this. He said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Go spread the news about this. And third, embrace God's direction. Now, it says, then he departed and went to another place. I can't imagine, you know, the the experience of the early church and the experience of Peter and just what he, he just went through. But it was like, okay, this happened. Now it's on to whatever God has next for me. I mean, he went out knowing that there'd be more danger potentially involved in his life. Right? That's how quickly this, this shifts. That's how quickly this transitions. And what we have to know is this. As the early church was established and is going to reach to the ends of the earth, that they're going to face multiple oppositions, but that that's the only way it spread. There's this quote from uh, Walter uh, Chantry. He says, Your master's life was dominated by a cross. Talking about Jesus. He He called you also to a life with a cross. This clear gospel notes 
uh, note is so easy to forget in flabby Western society. With a great chorus of custom, advertisement, and uh, temptation, this world is beckoning you to a life of self-indulgence. Your flesh is drawn to that appeal and will fall in with the world's suggestions. But the Lord of glory has called you to a life of self-denial to a cross. Right, that's what he's called us to. And so as we pray, we know and, and we, we come into this place where it, we are praying and, and it's less about me and more about God. What does God want? All right, we can continue to pray these like maintenance prayers, but what God is calling us to do is pray into those frontline prayers of, Lord, we need your grace. We need your mercy. That's the only way there's going to be freedom. And so as we uh, break this down and just some takeaways today uh, for us as we, we think about this text, the first one is this, expect impossible situations. You ever felt like you were in a week or, or, or a month or a year where you just felt like it, was just, it just felt impossible? You're like, how am I going to make it through? Like the past couple weeks for me, I'm like, okay, this is going to be one of those weeks where I'm just like, I don't, I don't know how we're going to make it through, but Lord, by your grace, by your mercy. And it just, and it just presses you into this place where, where you, you have to lean on God's strength. You have to lean on God's wisdom. You have to lean on God's patience and kindness and, and mercy. You have to. You're like, how am I going to make it through this week? I don't know. The only way I'm going to make it through is, is through the grace of God. And so I would encourage you, expect impossible situations. Now, why do those things happen? Well, God is teaching us through them. God in his grace is telling us that you're not alone, that I'm walking with you through them. And he's not going to leave your side. This is uh, an anonymous quote. I thought it was really helpful. It says this, God has not promised skies always blue, uh, flower-strewn pathways all our life though uh, through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. Right, that, that's about a, a God who's, who's with you in the midst of what feels like impossible. And through his grace and his mercy and his presence, it's possible. But the only way you're going to learn that is if you lean into him and you're praying and you're asking, God, help me to see this. Bring new discoveries to my life that I'm not seeing right now. But remember this too. The second point is this. Remember that God's ways are untraceable. It's, he, he, again, God's ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. It's untraceable. Like you can't, you can't put your finger and say, here's what God's doing. I've tried to do that in my life. You know what? I was wrong many a time. Many a time I was wrong. And here's the thing. Despite Peter recently losing one of his closest friends, there seems to be a deep trust that Peter has in God's plan. Because here's the thing in prison. Peter wasn't begging. He wasn't scheming. He wasn't bargaining with the guards. Wasn't doing any of those things. 
You know what he's doing? Peter was asleep in prison. He was asleep. Why? Because, well, he had to have a trust in God's plan. That, that it, it, there's a key to that that they're like, we need, right? We find later that Paul will be uh, singing in prison. Peter here is asleep. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you have sleepless nights right now? Are you filled with worry and concern? Are you thinking, okay, is God there with me in the midst of this? I want to encourage you that he is, but I want you to know this, that his ways are going to be untraceable to you. You're not going to be able to put your finger on God because you're going to be like, I, it's just too far above what I can pinpoint. God, give me grace for today. Give me grace for today. Help me to sleep today. Help me to know that you're with me today. And lastly, it's this. Expect God to move. Here's the thing. Prayer is not passive. It's not passive. It's not like this thing that, that you're just doing and you're wasting your breath. No, God is with you. See, this was a, a praying church. But they were still learning that God hears prayers and it's surprising at times when God moves unexpectedly. It's surprising at times. See, it might not be the response you're expecting or even want, but God is still moving. And so when you go through difficulty, my encouragement to you is this. Pray first. Remember that Jesus, that visual of come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Praying is not retreating. It's a plea for reinforcements. It was once said that prayer is an act of defiance against the opposition. John Piper calls it a wartime walkie-talkie. You feel like you're in a war sometimes, don't you? I do. It's an invitation from God. So today as we wrap up, we have to think about this. This church, this early church going through difficulties, going through trials. You're saying, how are we going to make it through? You know, there's a scripture back in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. We, we, most of us probably know it. Many of us have probably been quoted it uh, before or quoted it ourselves. Um, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and, and come and pray to me. I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart. Do you know the, the, the thing about this, this text is they were going into exile. They were going into difficulty. They were going into uh, challenges, opposition. That's what they're about to go into. And, and so when we, we put this like flowery verse and we use it and we say, well, God knows the plans that he has for us, the plans to prosper us. Do you know what the prospering is? It feels like it, it's in a desert. It feels like it's in the trials. And you know why this verse is true and that we can apply this today? We can take this today as a gospel truth? It's because when we look at this verse and we start to fill in the, that this is about Jesus and that Jesus took this on himself. So he actually took on 
the evil of the world. And that when Jesus called out and cried out, he was rejected so that when we cry out, God will hear our prayers. That when Jesus sought for some type of compassion or mercy, that it was all placed on him, the sin of the world, the wrath of God, taken upon the Son of God. So that when you seek God and I seek God, that we know he'll answer us. See, see the worst Sometimes we feel like the worst is about to happen, right? The church probably felt like the worst is happening right now in many ways. No, the worst already happened. You know who it happened to? To Jesus. It happened to Jesus. And when we call out to Jesus and we cry out to Jesus and we say, Jesus, be with me. Help us. We need you. He hears our prayer every time. And he'll be there for us in the worst moments that maybe we're experiencing because he went through the worst for us already. That's the gospel, friends. And if you feel like you're going through the worst right now, I I encourage you, come to Christ. Come to Jesus. He can be enough for you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for how you're working. And I pray, Lord, that we will seek you and find you, not because we sought first, but because you sought us. And that we can know that your grace is sufficient for us in our, what feels like our most desperate times, our, our most, the, the times where we don't know if there is even a plan. Lord, there is a plan. And we can look to you for that plan. And we can look to you for that guidance. May the gospel speak to our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.